Good to see everybody. It is good to be back. It is great to be back. My wife and I enjoyed being away last weekend. Absolutely. We enjoyed and we are excited to be back worshiping with you guys today. Just a couple quick announcements as we get started. First, let me say on behalf of Sean and his family, thank you to those who got him moved. They are moved in to their rental in Murray. And he's here. He's walking up here awkward. You know, there we go. So y'all can just pay attention right to him. He will love that. (laughs) Uh, But thank you all again for that. And please connect with him and his family as they're here today. Also, keep in mind, if you look around today and you notice a family missing, we've probably got about seven to eight families traveling, trying to soak up this last bit of summer vacation. So if you notice somebody missing today... Just make a note to pray for them, okay? Make a note to pray for safe travel and maybe just reach out to them and let them know that you missed them. As far as other announcements that we have coming up, we have uh, July, again, is typically kind of a slower month here, but we've got some things coming up. First, if you would like to host a life group uh, coming up in the fall semester, if you'd like to host one, there's just a sign-up out there. All that really entails is hosting folks either in your home once a week or every other week or even here at the church and just doing life together, focusing in on fellowship with one another and fellowship uh, with Jesus. So we're looking for folks who would be interested in hosting those. And if you're able to do so, there's a sign up out there on the bulletin board and it'd be good to know kind of by the end of July so we can get those started uh, in the fall. Second, Young Adults Bible Study starts July the 31st. That's coming up on a Sunday. Uh, if you don't know, if, if you think you fit in the young adult category, you probably do, and you're welcome to come <laughs> and just sort of figuring out interest on what that'll look like. And we've got some cool studies we're looking to do with that group there on Sunday morning. And let me tell you how excited I am about this. Our next thing, our men's fall kickoff event. This is a little ways off, but I'm so excited about it. I want to go ahead and start talking about it. On August the 27th, which is a Saturday morning, we're going to have breakfast, and we're going to have pastor, author, and former head college football coach, Jay Mills. Jay's a friend. He's a good guy. He's really going to connect, I think, with our men. And so we'll have a sign-up coming up in a few weeks to get men signed up. But here's what I want men who seem interested, who are leaned in and like, you know, former head football coach, think of one guy who's maybe disconnected from church or maybe hasn't reconnected from COVID or maybe doesn't even have a walk with Jesus at all and think about inviting him to come with you to this. There's breakfast, there's going to be talk about football, there's going to be talk about Jesus. What else could you want, right, in a time together with men? So please be thinking about uh, folks that you could invite, men that you could invite uh, to come along with that. And then finally, let me just say uh, thank you to those of you who continue to give. I always just sort of put this reminder out there and a thank you for your generosity. You're doing incredible good in our community and around the world, not just, not just keeping the lights on here, which is good, and we appreciate that. We like having lights and things here, but doing good through our food pantry ministry, through work in Peru, through many, many uh, sources of outreach and missions. Uh, in the world. So just as a reminder, there's baskets at the back. Uh, Whenever you leave, you can feel free to drop your tither offering in there, or you can give online, or even set up a little text to give thing, and that info is there on the screen. 
Again, just encourage you, if you see a family that's not here this week, that's normally here, just take a note, pray for them. Again, we've got lots of folks that texted me this week and said, we're traveling, we're all over the place. And so just feel free to encourage them a little bit and pray, with, and pray for them a little bit this week. So let's open our time in prayer. And then we have Jason Fisher here again with us, uh, leading us in worship and so excited uh, to be here. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your goodness, for your kindness to us. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world to live a sinless life, to die on the cross and to, be, and to rise again from the dead so that we could have everlasting life. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together and worship with your people. And we pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that we do together. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I tell you... It's great to be back. We were here a few weeks ago, but since then we had Camp Katie's, and now I'm looking out and I see familiar faces from Camp, Camp Katie's spending time with you guys, and so it's really cool to, like, I know that person, I know that person. I mean, I know your name, but I know your faces, so that's, that's a start, right? <laughs> Let's praise the Lord this morning with Battle Belongs. And all I see is a battle You see my victory And all I see is a mountain You see a mountain move And as I walk through the shadow Your love surrounds me There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe So when I find out, fight on my knees, my head's lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And if you are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When all I see are the ashes, you see the beauty. I see is a cross, God. You see an empty tomb. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. My head's lifted high. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay at your feet, I see through the night. Oh, God, the battle belongs to you. Almighty Fortress Almighty Fortress You go before us Nothing can stand against the power of our God You shine in the shadows You win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our God Almighty Fortress 
you go before us. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadows. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. So when I fight, I fight on my knees. When my head's lifted high, oh God, the battle belongs to you. And every fear I lay in your feet, I sing through the night, oh God, the battle belongs to you. The when I fight, I fight on my knees, my head's lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay in your feet, I sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Amen. Can I get a little more mic? Because I'm, I'm struggling a little bit this morning. <laughs> My ears are plugged up. I can't hardly hear myself, let alone. So if it st- starts to sound really bad, just plug your ears up. Okay. All right. Again, it's good to be here. It's good to praise the Lord. And um, I miss my home church, but I've always told them that if the Lord calls me to go somewhere, I'm going to go. So I'm thankful for the call from Brother Matt to come praise with you guys. It's always a blessing to be here. Jesus Messiah. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing. Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, the blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from hell. Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. His body the bread, His blood the wine, broken and poured out all for love. The whole earth trembled and the veil was torn. So amazing, love so amazing, Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. Rescue for sinners, 
ransom from heaven Jesus Messiah Lord of all All I hope is in you All I hope is in you All I glory to you, God, the light of the world, Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer. Then you rest. The rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, the Lord of all, Jesus Messiah. praise. Amen. God's good, isn't he? There's a whole lot of people that didn't get a chance to get up out of the bed and come to church this morning. And I'm just thankful that we had the opportunity today and we didn't take it, we didn't take it for granted. We're here. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hand From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life All my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire In darkest night you were close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after it's running after me 
Your goodness is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running, Lord Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after running after me with my life laid down surrender now I give you everything your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me my life lay down, I surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. Amen. Thank you all for praising the Lord with us this morning. Let me see if I can bring something up on my phone real quick. Hold on. See, I knew I should have brought the book in. <laughs> this one time I didn't bring the book in. I just brought the sheets I needed. And it's okay. We'll, we'll do it. Hold on. Let me get my capo on here. I'm glad I brought this up here too this morning. See, there's a reason for it. If you see McKenna reaching over to ro scroll this thing back down or something, it's because it's moving too fast for us, but it's okay. It'll all work out. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Shame's done all it's stealing And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't save Let me tell you about my Jesus 
strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. Who can wipe away the tears? Broken dreams and wasted years Until the past to disappear Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus And all the wrong turns that you would Go and undo if you could Who can work it all for your good Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and his grace is free. And the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. my cross to Calvary, pay the price for all my guilty, who would care that much about me, let me tell you about my Jesus, and oh, he makes a way where there ain't no way, rises up from an empty grave, ain't no sinner that he can't save, let me tell you about my Jesus, his love is strong and his grace is free, and the good news is I know that he can do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And let my Jesus change your life. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Well, excellent. Wasn't it good to be together, everybody? Yes. Amen. And to gather and to sing to our Savior. Absolutely. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, find the book of 2 John. 2 John. And I'm excited to continue in our little series we've been calling Big Questions, Big Answers, Looking at John's letters to us, uh, where God is going to speak to us uh, and answer, again, big questions we have in our life with big answers from his word. And before we actually look at Second John, have y'all ever seen a family resemblance? Y'all ever just seen a family resemblance? You can look at the parents and their children or maybe their siblings, and you just know they're related. Maybe some of the young folks here understand how annoying it might have been to gone to school and the folks here had your parents in school and they just know. They know what family you're a part of. They know your granddaddy, they know your mama, and you look just like them, right? And this happens, I did a little research this week, not just because of shared genetics, 
that's part of it, but it also happens through simply growing up in the same family. You begin to gain the accent, the humor. You begin to catch and be taught as much as you can get through genetics. And just as physical families have a family resemblance, we come to learn that God's family has a certain resemblance to it as well. Those who have been saved by Jesus begin to look more like Jesus. As John talks about, we're born again through supernatural recreation by the Holy Spirit, and we begin to look more like him through believing and obeying his word. And so 2 John is a book all about our family resemblance. Specifically, he's going to answer this question. How can I recognize a brother or sister in Christ? What's the family resemblance? And how can I begin to note that family resemblance in others? So look with me, again, the book of 2 John, really short, just one chapter. We're going to look at all of it together this morning. The Word of God says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new command, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for and may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of God. You may not know this, but I was doing some research before, uh, even last night as I was preparing to preach this. Do you know who who wrote the most Uh, books in the New Testament. Most of y'all probably know it would be Paul, right? Second to him, even though he didn't write as much books, it's actually arguable Luke wrote maybe the second greatest amount in the New Testament because he wrote a really long gospel and the book of Acts, right? And in third place, interestingly enough, is John because John wrote first the gospel of John, which no doubt has the most popular Bible verse ever, right? John 3.16. If, even folks who don't know the Bible know at least that verse, right? And the gospel is sort of his firsthand account of Jesus' ministry, right? His life, his teaching, his miracles, even his death and resurrection. He also wrote probably, arguably, the second most famous book in the Bible, the book of 
Revelation. Everybody wants to hear what somebody's got to say about the book of Revelation, either for good or for bad, right? And, and despite what, what you may think, the book isn't maybe as scary as people often make it to be because it's a vision God gave to John to encourage churches in Asia Minor. If you remember, the first part of the book of Revelation are letters to real churches in real places in John's day, and that they were experiencing persecution, and that vision was meant to give them at least hope and comfort in the midst of that persecution. Of course, John wrote letters as well. He wrote 1 John, which is what we spent a lot of time in earlier in the summer. Just a few weeks ago, we finished 1 John, and it was sort of the gospel of John in sermon form. He condensed the central message of the gospel down into sort of a sermon that was sent to the local churches to be read aloud. And then he wrote 2 and 3 John, which are basically cover letters that get much more specific than 1 John. We get in 2 John sort of a personal glimpse into John's heart for this particular local church. And in 3 John, we get, the look, we get a look at his heart for its leadership, a guy named Gaius. Look how 2 John opens. 2 John verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. The elder, this is John. Remember, John's very famous for giving himself sort of humble titles. He calls himself an elder. If you read through his gospel, he simply calls himself the one whom Jesus loved, right? And so here he says, I'm just a regular elder, And he writes here to the elect lady, that's another name for the local church, and her children, the members. And if this sounds like a weird way to think about a local church, remember, Paul and John describe the church elsewhere as a bride, a bride who's chosen by God, loved and pursued and formed by God. And it's a reminder that the church is an institution established first and foremost by God himself. In fact, the Greek word that we translate for church is the word ekklesia, which means the called out ones. Ones called out by God to be his sons and his daughters. And so John knew God loves the church. Both the people of God globally, what I call the capital C church, believers everywhere. But God also loves the local church the specific, particular congregation who love and serve God together. God loves the church, and John is writing out of an overflow of this love. And he wants us to see out of this overflow of this love that a particular family resemblance for the people of God. And here's your main point for the morning. Here's what he wants you to see through this whole letter, that we recognize a brother or sister in Christ by their relationship to the truth by how they relate to the truth. What is the family resemblance of God's people? What do we do with his word and with the truth of his word? Let's start with where he starts. He starts by telling us that we are people who love in truth. How we relate to truth. One of the first things we need to do is love others in the truth. Look at verse 1 again. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Love 
in the truth. He doesn't love them blindly. He doesn't have a sort of mushy, gushy sort of love that ignores all their realities and the faults that are there. I'm sure some of you have experienced this, or if not, maybe you're going through it right now where they, the, maybe your teenager comes home and they go, they're perfect. There's nothing wrong with them at all. <laughs> and you're like, just wait. You'll see, right? John doesn't have that sort of mushy-gushy love. He loves them, blemishes and all. Remember, back in his main letter, 1 John, he was honest about how there was all sorts of turmoil in their church. There was false teaching. People were leaving, and then there were people in the middle who were like, I don't know what to think about all of this. And he loved them anyway. And he even, in this letter, begins to talk about these issues, and he doesn't sugarcoat them. Love never downplays facts or reality. Look at verse 4. Look what he says. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new command, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. He says, I'm excited to see, I rejoice to see that some of them are walking in truth. That also implies to us that there were at least some, possibly many, who weren't walking in truth and needed this reminder. And he says, you need to be reminded to walk in love. And that the primary issue of their relationship to the truth was their relationship to love. Here's what he tells us, that love and truth are two sides of the same coin. They are two sides of the same coin. You simply cannot have one without the other. He says, love is to do what God says, even if it might not be the easiest or the simplest or the most comfortable thing to do, but it would be the true and the right thing to do. Sometimes doing what God wants is going to appear difficult in the moment, but it's what is going to bring the most good to your fellow man and the most glory to God. And he says, I'm not telling you something you don't know. This is an old command to love one another. It goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus. And he grounds it in truth. He says, let God's word be your guide. The loving thing to do will never be the thing opposed to God's word. The loving thing will never be the thing condemned by God's word. And this means, friends, we need to be grounded in the truth of God, but we also need to do things in the way God commands. There's two extremes he's pushing against here. There's one extreme that is love without truth. And again, that's that sort of mushy-gushy, I've got this warm, fuzzy feeling, but I'm not really going to love you as you are. I'm going to kind of pretend that you're the way that I want you to be. I'm going to have a pretend world, and I'm going to love that pretend world or that pretend version of you, but not who you really are. But there's the other extreme. There's truth apart from love. And he would tell us that that isn't true at all. Maybe you all have experienced this. Have you ever met a person who you knew was right in what they were saying, but they were being a jerk about it? Anybody? Have you ever watched have you ever watched the news or social media or been anywhere near any of that, right? Maybe they had the right doctrine but the wrong attitude. 
This is personally one of the things I struggle with listening to a lot of Christian commentators and pundits. I can sit back and go, they have a point. They understand the Holy Spirit inspired truth in the Bible, but the fruit of the Spirit is missing. And he says, we don't need to have truth without love any more than our culture seeks to have love apart from truth. Look at this in Galatians chapter 5. Look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. First, and this is a minor thing, keep the verse up and look at this. No, no, most of the time people talk about the fruits of the Spirit. But if you notice, it's singular that the fruit of the Spirit is all of these things. Paul so connects these with the presence of the Spirit. He isn't trying to make you think there's a self-control tree and there's a goodness tree. And you're sitting back going, well, I want to be the peace tree, but I don't really want to have the self-control fruit at all, right? I want to have the peace, but... I don't really want to have the kindness or the patience. Who wants to be the patience tree? Right? No, no, no. He says that where the Spirit is, all of them are. God's Spirit is there and therefore should be producing all of these in us. And he says, and and he really has given us a grid here for when we share the truth with others. Do we share the truth with love, with joy, with peace, with patience? with kindness, with gentleness, with self-control. I would encourage you before you rattle off that text or have that tough phone call or respond to that Facebook comment, you would sit and run through this in your mind. Is the fruit of the Spirit going to be on display in my dialogue? Because if it's not, friends, I probably would not respond. Let me tell you one of the most freeing things in the world. You don't have to respond to everything you disagree with. Take it off the shoulders. Lay it down, right? It really frees you up when you stop worrying about that, right? In our sharing of the truth, are we living in the truth by loving others? This is how, this is part of the family resemblance, right? This is how the people of God relate to the truth. We're lovers in the truth. And then he gets even more fundamental. He says, we need to have knowledge of the truth. You got to love others in the truth, but that also means you're going to have to know the truth eventually. You're going to have to have knowledge of it. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, John's being very culturally sensitive here, isn't he? He's really concerned about what other people think about him. We probably come to this and think, how unloving of John to say I shouldn't even greet this person. 
And yet, if we look a little closer, we'll see that John is modeling truth and love for us. That false teaching in the church is not a kind thing. It is not a good thing. The Apostle Paul describes false teaching as gangrene. And if you've never seen gangrene, go home and Google it and hit images, and you'll get the picture that you need. It wouldn't be kind to let someone stand in the way of an oncoming train unwarned, nor would it be kind to keep news of a deadly disease from someone. So we must speak to the falsehood and the danger of teaching in our day. And John here was dealing with the same issues he dealt with in his main letter. There were false teachers whom he called antichrists who were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. And they said, hey, I can get around the fact that Jesus is God, but Jesus being man, I, I can't go there. I can't, get, I can't get with both of those. And he said to watch yourselves, make sure you run the race well and you run to win a full reward. And he tells us, hey, that one of the signs of being God's people is that we know God's truth, particularly what the Bible says about the Father and the Son. He doesn't tell us to relegate doctrine to the side. He says what actually makes us Christians is that, is that we believe that what we believe about God matters. What we believe about Jesus matters. What we believe about the Trinity is very definitional to the Christian faith. He says, if you're going to deny the Father and the Son, we're on different pages. And then he gets frank, verse 11. Verse 11, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, this strikes our modern ears as unusual, offensive, even maybe a bit extreme. He said to love one another a little bit ago. Now he says not even to welcome some of them. Is he telling me that if I see that guy with really weird teaching at the Walmart, I should just sort of like hide, get in the next aisle over. You know what you want to do if you want to hide from somebody at the Walmart, right? He says, is that what I'm supposed to do? Where's the southern hospitality in that? What about the fact that Jesus, didn't he host sinners? Wasn't that why the Pharisees crucified him? So what's going on here? What's going on? Because I don't think what John's telling us to do, he's not telling you to cut everyone out of your life who you disagree with. I don't think he's telling you you can't even have dinner with someone who disagrees with you. He has a very particular context in mind. Let's look at that verse. Put that verse back up there again, and let's look at this. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching. So notice, these were people who were coming to them who were missionaries for the false doctrine. They claimed to be Christians, but they were teaching against Christ. They were coming in and trying to sway these people away from truth and toward the falsehood. To, to sway them toward rejecting Jesus. And verse 9 speaks of these folks as folks who go on ahead, who literally were running headfirst into falsehood. And they were running so fast, they wanted to bring a bunch of the rest of them with them. And the particular danger here were those who wanted to present themselves as part of the family of God, and yet were serving the family of the devil. These weren't simply folks with differing viewpoints or other religions. These were folks who were pretending to be Christians, but were anything but. And he says, if these folks come to you and don't bring this teaching, he says, do not receive them into your house. Give them any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked 
works. In other words, he says, be careful not to invite these folks over, make treating them as if they're a part of the family of God when they're not family. They're trying to get you to leave your family. They're trying to get you to leave your heavenly father and leave Jesus behind. They have schemes to try to bring you and your family along into their falsehood. Don't let your homes or your networks become their pulpits for lies. Here's sort of the point he wants to say. He wants to say this, God doesn't call us to affirm or celebrate anyone outside of God's will. He says, hey, in this day, to have someone over for dinner was to go, I'm fully affirmative of who you are, what you think, and I'm going to celebrate with you about it. And he says, hey, if they're bringing false teaching and living in falsehood, he says, hey, we can't affirm or celebrate even if we can still love them. He says, warn them. And be careful because by, by celebrating and affirming them, you may cause others to misunderstand what's happening and lead them astray. Also consider that in these days, most churches met in the large upper rooms in homes. They would have large upper rooms, sort of like this, but it would be on top of their homes of more wealthy members in the congregation because they didn't have sort of buildings you could go rent back in those days, right? But they had these large upper rooms where they could have banquets. And so this was where the church would meet. And he said, hey, be careful bringing these false teachers into the homes where you would also have church and giving them free reign to teach falsehood in the kids' ministry. Maybe they wanted to stand up and pray, and they're going to pray something wild and out there and opposed to God's word. Maybe they're even going to try to take to the pulpit or invite them to some sort of study that's going to try to bring them away from God's word. John is saying, be careful about who you let have influence in your life and in the church. Friends, he loved them like a parent. Parents understand this. We, as any parent understands that you want your child protected from the evils of the world until they're ready to be able to discern and understand and have wisdom to know what to do. He's like, hey, be careful who you bring over because they might have an influence that you will never understand. Notice his opening words again in verse 1 and 2. He says, to these people whom I love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. He wants us to ask, how do we relate to the eternal, unchanging truth of God's word? Do we believe it? Or are we people who kind of try to radically renovate it? Are the people that, that bring that try to have this family resemblance, do they come to the word of God the way the serpent in the garden did? Did God really say? How we relate to the truth is a sign of our belonging to the family of God. We're meant to love others in truth. We're meant to know the truth. And finally, third, we're meant to have communion around the truth. We're meant to have communion around the truth. Look where John ends in verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. He said, John says, I've got a lot to say, and a letter simply can't do. Now, we think of letters as really personal in our day, but this would have been equivalent 
to back in, back in their day a text or even a sort of an email, but it would take a whole lot longer to get there. And he's telling us that even in our day, a text or a live stream simply won't do. That his desire should be ours to be face-to-face with people. You know, God created you with a body, and God came and dwelt among us in a body. He's not made us to live our entire life behind letters or behind screens. We dwell together, and God calls the church a body, and what is a body without its parts? And he says, we commune together physically around truth that is theological. We come together with other people to worship a God we have not seen. And we come together, look again at verse 1. He says, the people we love in truth, not only I, but also all who know the truth. We come together as people who know and love the same truth or are pursuing to know and love this truth. Friends, gathering together as a church isn't simply an act of learning. It's an act of love. It's an act of communion together, an act of fellowship. John talked all throughout 1 John about fellowship with God and fellowship with one another and fellowship grounded in truth. And we come together for worship to commune around the truth. Yes, to know it, but did you know the purpose of church isn't simply information transfer? It isn't simply about me transferring info from here to you. Because let me tell you, there are far better preachers you could go listen to on the internet than me. They could give you lots of info and lots of things. No, no, no. We do come to learn, but we don't simply come to learn. That when we gather together, it's to shape our hearts, our loves, our affections, our perspective on the world. It binds us together with others and provides a community and a family of faith to push us toward truth and confront us in falsehood. Friends, we need the church. And by that, I don't simply mean we need you to come and fill a seat. Because, friends, there are plenty of people who can come and fill a seat and get no real use out of this. But no, we need to dive deeper in community. John's going to be frank with you, and I'm going to be very frank with you. Here's what he says. We recognize a brother or sister in Christ by their relationship to the church. He says, frankly, you want to know if they're a part of the family? Do they show up to the family gathering? (laughs) Y'all know plenty of folks who might be on paper a part of the family, but not seen them in years. And he says, friends, if you want to, this is one of the marks of the family of God. You ever heard the phrase, Christians don't go to church, they're to be the church. And and I know what they mean to say when they say that, right? We're We're to do more than simply fill a seat on Sunday, right? But most of the time, what they mean by that is, well, I'm going to go be a Christian in my boat on Sunday by myself and not come gather with the people of God. They're saying things like, well, don't spend time with your family. Just go be a part of the family. (laughs) How does that that work, right? Don't go home and spend time with your wife. Go be a husband in your boat by yourself. How's that going to work when you get home, fellas? Not very well, right? In reality, if you're a Christian without 
a, a community of faith. Here's your situation. If I'm a Christian, but I don't need a church was a photo. Do you see that? Not only are you in danger from an enemy who the Bible says prowls seeking to destroy you, but according to John, without the church, you're missing one of the central points of the family resemblance. God's people gather together around the truth with others who believe the truth, and we love one another, warts and all. And you may say this, you may go, well, but, but the people at the church are so hard to love. Yes, we are. Welcome. <laughs> We're all very hard to love at times, aren't we? One of my favorite commands, and I believe it's in the book of Ephesians, is where Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, hey, church, put up with one another. I love that. <laughs> I'm like, if there's ever a command to put up on a wall right inside a church, it's, hey, put up with them. I know there's hypocrites here. Yes, we're in one sense, we're all hypocrites. And I'm so thankful that God hasn't given up on any of us yet. And friends, the church is messy. Did you know that there's not a person in this room today who's not a sinner? Not a jacked up sinner, right? At least if you didn't know you were, let me tell you now, you're a sinner in a room full of sinners who blow it. None of us are here to proclaim our own goodness. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We gather as a church knowing that Jesus hasn't given up on us yet. And therefore, let's not give up on one another. Let's not give up on this. And you know how we know that Jesus has not given up on any of us and isn't going to give up on any of us? Because he became like one of us. He took on flesh. He lived as a man. And a man in perfect relationship to the truth. What the false teachers in John's day were denying is true. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh in order to save us. In order that we wouldn't simply, that it wouldn't simply be a wish, but a promise. That verse 3 could be true of us. Look at verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, from God's Son, in truth and love. Jesus Christ came lived a perfect, sinless life. And he, in the midst of that, experienced all sorts of temptations, all sorts of hurts. Remember, friends, they all left him when he went up on that cross. He thought he had friends. All the disciples ended up leaving him, and one even ended up selling him out. And he went up on that cross, and he died in the place of sinners, of you and me. He died our death in our place. And he was buried on the third day. And he rose again so that grace, mercy, and peace might be ours. Grace, we would be in right relationship with God, not through anything that we do, but through faith alone and Christ alone. Mercy from God, undeserved, not even something we could ever merit. And we would have peace with God, right standing with God, restoration back into a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ in grace and truth. And today, you can come to know the one who says he is the way, the truth, and the life. You can not only come to know him, maybe you've been sort of out of a good connection with the truth. Today, you can turn that around, get reconnected. You can come to Jesus 
and ask him to save you. You can commit right where you are to to begin to dive into his word and to be around his family and to grow together with others. Whatever you need to do, the call of 2 John is that God has grace, mercy, and peace available to you for whatever response you need to make. Maybe today we just need to relate to the truth by knowing it more. Maybe we needed the correction to love others in a way that God would call us to. Maybe we simply need to commune with others and get in a small group in the fall and really commit to working and communing in the truth with others. Today, whatever you need to do, God is able to make us a people fully devoted to the truth. Whether you're right where you are or you're welcome to come down front here in a bit, I'll be down here if you need someone to pray with, to counsel with in these next moments. But whatever decision you make, these next moments are a time of worship, a time of response, and a time of reflection. So whatever you need to do, make sure in these next moments you do business with God because his word is spoken and he always calls for a response when he speaks. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are good to us. You have loved us and given us eternal comfort through grace. Lord, I ask that you would, in these next moments, draw us by the Spirit to the truth, the truth of your word, to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, I ask that you would, in these next moments, cause us to be people who are fully devoted to you, ready to love others in truth, to grow in our knowledge of the truth, and to commune with others around that truth. You have spoken, and you have come to dwell among us in in your son, Jesus, and there's no greater news than to share that with the world. So help us to do that. We pray that you'll be honored in the rest of our time of worship together. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm forgiven Because you were forsaken I'm accepted You were condemned I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well. Spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. You.
died and rose again. That's what this is all about, right? That's why we're here. That's the truth we commune around, the truth we love, and then the truth we come to grow and know. Let me just say two things before we close our service. If you're visiting with us or you need to take a next step back by the baskets, uh, where the giving baskets are, there's a Get Connected card. There's several options on the back. Fill that out. Drop that in. We'd love to follow up with you uh, with whatever next steps you feel uh, that you need to make and uh, just a way to get connected with us and find out more uh, about our church. And you can also fill that out. You'll see the link. You can fill that out online if you don't find the card or you forget to grab the card before you head out of there this week. But let's finish our service with a benediction, a blessing from God's word for the road as we go out into the world and seek to show our family resemblance to the truth. This from 1 Peter chapter 5. And after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.